Amen. You can have a seat. You know, one of the challenges for me, and uh, we have to wear masks to a store and wear one when we're in large groups of people, and one of the challenges for me is the, the missed communication cues, right? So you're wearing a mask, someone tells you something they're happy about, tells you something that they think is funny, and you're smiling, and you realize they have no idea I'm smiling, right? Because they can't see it. Or they tell you something that's painful, and you have a pained expression on your face, maybe a frown, and you realize they can't see that either because half your face is hidden and it really keeps us from communicating as well as would like to because so much is hidden. Well, you know, the truth is, as we think about this new series that we're in that we began last week that we're calling Masked, so much of our lives is hidden, not by masks made of cloth or whatever, but but the lies that we tell and the ways that we try to hide what really matters in our lives. So much of it is hidden because we're uncomfortable sharing it. And we're thinking about how we deal with some of those things that we want to hide. Like last week, we talked about how we hide our fear because our fear is embarrassing. And so we don't share it. And today I want us to think about how we hide our failure. None of us like to admit that we have failed, and so we hide that. We try to pretend like it's not failure. We talk about it in such a way that it won't seem as bad. We try to hide the fact that maybe we missed the mark. We had this strategy, and we have to admit that our strategy maybe didn't work, or we have to admit that we didn't work our strategy as well as we should. And so there's failure, and failure is really hard to admit. Our culture is a culture of winners. We like winners. We, uh, when we're in a political race, we sometimes you can look at the studies, they show that people will follow someone and then they make their decision at the end, oftentimes according to momentum, because we want to be associated with a winner. And a politician who loses sometimes finds it really hard to get back into politics for fear that they won't get that momentum. People want to be associated with winners. The quickest way for a sports team to see a decline in attendance is to start losing. We want to be associated with winners. So personal failure is really hard to grapple with. We struggle with it when we fail. And in fact, there's some physical reasons for that. Our physical response is really difficult when we lose. Jonathan Merritt in his book, Speaking God from Scratch, has a chapter on disappointment in which he deals with failure and he talks about our physical reaction to failure. And you know, when we expect to win, that fills our body with a chemical called dopamine that makes us feel good. And we expect to get more than that because we see the success coming. And then when it doesn't come, we don't get that dopamine and we have to grapple with our loss of dopamine and it feels, literally feels, really bad to us. It's a reward prediction error, he calls it. And this is the way he describes it. Losing hurts even more when it's not what you were expecting. When we expect to succeed and then we don't, the pain is real. And Lamont puts it this way. Expectations are resentments under construction. When we expect to win and then we don't, We deal with resentment over that loss, maybe for a long time. Failure hurts, and we don't like to admit that we failed. So how do we deal with that? How do we deal with 
our failure. Today I want us to think about that and I want us to do it by looking at a passage of scripture that may be familiar to you. It's a story that shows up sometimes and and we want to look back in the Gospel of John. We just finished a, a whole series in John, but we didn't talk much about these passages. And this story comes to us sort of in three stages or three stanzas, we might call it. And the first is found all the way back in John chapter 13. Jesus has gathered with his disciples for their last meal together. And he's sharing some things that are really disturbing. Like he says, Judas is going to betray him. He says he's going to leave his disciples. And they say, we're going to follow. He says, well, not so sure about that. Peter says, I'll follow you even if it means death. And then Peter hears these words from the voice of Jesus. Verse 38, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And I can imagine the gasps around that table as Peter heard these words and maybe thought, there's no way that's going to happen. But Jesus has just said that Peter, one of the leaders in this group, before the next morning, so in just a matter of hours, is going to deny that he knows Jesus, not once or twice, but three times. And I can imagine the disciples thinking, man, Peter's the, the boldest guy we've got. I mean, he's the one that got out of the boat to walk on the water with Jesus. He's the first one to speak up. He's a leader, and Jesus is telling us he's going to deny that he even knows Jesus three times before breakfast. Hard to believe. But then we turn over to John chapter 18, the second stanza in the story. Jesus has been arrested on that same night that they ate that meal together. He's been hauled before the authorities and he's sort of tossed back and forth between different people. Someone trying to make a decision about the charges that are made against him. And while he's being tried, we find Peter out and, and a young girl approaches him. And this is what happens. Verse 17. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I'm not. And it was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire that they had made to keep warm Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. So, number one, Jesus said it would happen three times. This is the first. You aren't one of his disciples, are you? No, not me. Won't even admit that he has been around Jesus. Jesus is being tried, and so we skip down to verse 25 when the scene shifts back to Peter again. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. Same spot. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? Aren't you a follower? Aren't you one of those guys that followed Jesus? He denied it, saying, I'm not. One of the high priest servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. Back in the garden, Peter did this. Pretty recognizable when you do that to someone's relative. He challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the rooster began to crow. Here it is, just as Jesus said it would be, Peter has denied Jesus three times. It is failure on a monumental scale. I don't know how you do much worse than this than to say, no, I don't know Jesus. Now remember, here's, here's Peter. For three years, he has been following Jesus. For three years, Jesus has been building in to Peter and the other disciples. 
For three years, he has heard Jesus speak. And, and remember when we talked about John, there were those seven signs that pointed to who Jesus was. Miraculous things that Jesus did. Peter saw them all. Water to wine, feeding lots of people. People healed. A blind man could see. Lazarus raised from the dead. Peter saw all of that. And then in this moment, when it was uncertain, when he was afraid for his life, because what happens if you admit that you're a follower of Jesus in those moments? Peter says, no, I, I didn't follow Jesus. And here's Peter dealing with that incredible failure. And then on Sunday morning, after Jesus is raised from the dead, Peter hears the tomb is empty. He sees the empty tomb. He's in the locked room when Jesus just suddenly appears. And, and my guess is he's wondering, does Jesus know what I did? I mean, he did predict it, right? Three times and it happened just the way Jesus said. So does he know what I've done? And when is going to be that moment when Jesus is going to confront me? When is Jesus going to say, Peter, man, you're, you're just a failure. You wouldn't even admit that you knew me. Why don't you just find your fishing boat and your net and go back to the life you had? Because I don't have room for guys like you who won't follow me when the going gets tough. I'll find somebody else. Peter had to wonder if that conversation was going to happen and just how Jesus was, was going to address this monumental failure in his life. Well, the moment came in a way that may have surprised Peter. We find it recorded in John 21. This is after the resurrection and sort of at the very end, Jesus encounters his disciples. They share a meal together. And then we read this in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, the scholars have debated what these means there. Is Jesus saying, okay, Peter, do you love me more than you love these guys that are gathered around here? Or Peter, do you love me more than these fishing nets and boats that represent the life you had before? Do you love me more than these guys love me? But whatever the question really means, the point is the same. Peter... How important am I in your life? Am I the most important thing? Do you really love me more than everything else? What's the priority, Peter? Peter's response, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, verse 16, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. He was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? We could sort of think what Peter's thoughts might have been. All right, Jesus, like you've made your point, I... I get it. You're, you're challenging me. But do you have to keep doing this? Where does this end? Are you going to keep asking this question? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. 
Now, people have noted that Jesus uses a variety of words for love here in, in the Greek that we have that John wrote. I don't know that there's a whole lot to make of that. Maybe you've heard that before, but John uses those words a little bit interchangeably, and Jesus was speaking Aramaic, which doesn't have as wide a variety of words for love. But the point is, am I the most important thing? And Jesus asked the question three times. That's not an accident, is it? One for each of those denials. That's the interchange that Jesus and Peter have here at the end. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Three times Peter's asked the question. And then three times Jesus asked the question, do you love me? Peter says, you know. You know where my heart is. And Jesus responds each time with mission. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. And it's not just Jesus inviting Peter back in, but I think that's part of it. Peter, there's a place for you. Peter, there's work to be done. And yes, Peter, I know you made a mistake. Three times you denied me, but three times I'm inviting you back to do something that counts, to be part of what I'm doing in the world. And Peter certainly would be. But it's not just that. It's also, Peter, if you really love me, then you know what I what I've been here for. Peter, if you really do love me, you know who I am. And if you know who I am, what I was doing here, then there's a mission associated with that. He's saying, take what you have, your deep love for me, and do something with it. And the people that are going to follow me, I'm putting them in your care. Lead them. Care for them. If we read through the book of Acts, what we find is that Peter does become an early leader in the life of the church, one of the most important early leaders in the church. And if you read his books, you'll find that through his writings, he addressed the church. Peter became an important leader. He fed the sheep. But the heart of this message is Jesus, through these three questions, acknowledges what Peter has done. This is a failure. There's no doubt. Jesus doesn't ignore it. He doesn't pretend that it didn't happen. He acknowledges Peter's failure and he invites him back in. And it reminds me of this simple truth. We're second chance people. Jesus gave second chances over and over again and he gives them to us. And because of that, we can be second chance people. And so when we fail... That's not the end. And the truth is that if Jesus only used people that never failed for the work in his kingdom, well, we would never get anything done because we all fail. We can probably look back on this week and remember something that we did that maybe it was, it was just sin, plain out and out sin. We gave in to temptation. That was a failure. Or maybe we just didn't do something very well. Not as well as we normally do or as well as we know we could have. Or it was just a failure in the way we executed a plan. We know our failures. And if we as the church are a second chance people, what that tells us is we have to give ourselves a second chance. Do we deserve it? Probably not. But Jesus gave it anyway. We have to recognize our failures and say, okay, that doesn't disqualify me from doing something that matters in the church or in the community or in my work or even in my family. Because we may fail in any of those areas. 
And we have to give ourselves permission to stand back up and to get back at the work, to feed the sheep. But it also says that if we're a second chance people, we've got to give other people a second chance. We need to give ourselves a second chance, but we need to give others a second chance. And the truth is there are people in this room that are going to fail us and fail the church, and that's just going to happen, and we have to make this decision. Am I going to be like Jesus and give people a second chance, or am I going to follow the way of our culture and say, well, you know what, we really like winners, and since you failed, we found you to be disposable. Why don't you just sort of sit down and let us take it from here? We're second chance people. And so when people fail, no, we don't have to ignore that failure. We can acknowledge it. We can deal with it. We can learn from it. And we can find ways to keep from failing again. But there's room for people in the kingdom of God who have failed. There's room for every single person who has failed. You know, the church should be the one place where it's okay to say, man, I blew it. I just didn't do this right. This was a failure. And for people to come around us and say, okay, you failed. But there's more than one chance in this thing. God is a God of second chances, and we are a second chance people. Let's learn from it. And move forward. So, are you ready to give yourself a second chance today? Are you ready to give the people around you a second chance? Because we're all going to fail. Instead of trying to hide that failure behind a mask and pretending it doesn't exist, let's just call it what it is. Because when we do that, then we have the opportunity to move past it and to really be a second chance people. Let's pray together. God, help us to acknowledge our failure. We know, we know we have them. You know better than we do. But God, help us to give ourselves and to give each other real second chances to do better, to learn from the failure, and to do the work you've called us to do. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.